Deuteronomy 1 was largely about the other extreme. What happens when God's people decide not to follow him and refuse to trust him and refuse to um, believe him? So as I've been studying this passage, um, a couple of verses keep popping in, have kept popping into my head. Um, and one of them is, is Romans eleven twenty two, which isn't really in the context of, of um, Deuteronomy, although you, would be, you could be surprised at how well it will line up with what we study tonight. This is Romans 11.22. This is from the ESV I'm reading. Note then, or you could say, see then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So so that verse could very well uh, describe, it doesn't, it's talking about that we as Christians have been grafted into Israel, um, that that. And it's because Israel did not faithfully follow God. But it could be taken right out of of Deuteronomy chapters 1 and 2, where you have one generation of Israel um, who does not follow. They they fall, and quite literally their bodies fall in the wilderness. And then you have the next generation, kindness, kindness. God's kindness to them, um, even though their, their fathers died in the wilderness, they remain faithful and follow uh, through these last couple of years leading up to uh, the promised land. Behold or see the kindness and the severity of God. So, it's easy to lose sight of the kindness of God sometimes because of severity, uh, including the severity of God. The severity of God is a real thing. Um, the people in, that, that refuse to go into the promised land faced severity from God. So... Let's uh, begin our study with that in mind, that it is easy to lose sight of the kindness of God. So tonight we're in Deuteronomy 2, verses 24 to to 37. If you have an ESV Bible, um, you would have the heading close to here. It actually starts on verse 26 uh, that says that, that... calls this section the defeat of, um, I'll pronounce it like we normally do, the defeat of King Sihon. Um, This story is a bigger deal than we might think it is. Um, As we just, even as we just read through it, it's a bigger deal than that. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you remember, if you've been here at this Deuteronomy study from the beginning, Even if you haven't, um, Deuteronomy has an introduction. Um, So this is 
Um, this is the introduction to Deuteronomy. It starts in Deuteronomy chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and you'll see what I'm talking about. This must be some kind of a big, bigger deal than when we would normally just get by reading through this little short story in Deuteronomy chapter 2. So Deuteronomy, I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 4 or 5. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So this is when they're getting ready to enter the promised land. In the Erevah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Levan, Hazarot, and Dizahav. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, uh, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, which would be a way to get into the promised land. It's 11 days. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and in Edrei. So this defeat of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, is such a big deal that it's in the introduction for, for Deuteronomy. What Deuteronomy is about. <laughs> so this, this is, may, it's not just a history lesson uh, that we are getting here. So just a, we always start this section or our study with a review. And last week um, we were at the beginning of, of chapter 2. So here's something just to note that Deuteronomy, um, it's, this is the structure of the book. It's really, it's really three messages or three sermons by Moses and then a closing section. And it is these three messages are about preparing the people, encouraging the people to get ready to go into the promised land. So all of these messages take place next to the promised land, not right there. They're just across the Jordan River to the east um, from the promised land. Um, and we're in chapter Two today. So we're in, as you can see, at chapter two, we're in the first message. Uh, we're still in the first message. Uh, and, and chapter one is mostly about what happened 38 years earlier, or 37 years earlier, 38 years earlier, when, when Israel refused to go into the promised land. And so Moses is giving them a history lesson and saying, don't forget that this is what happened. You were supposed to go in the promised land. You wouldn't go in the promised land. Actually, it was your fathers that were supposed to lead that, and they wouldn't go. So all of them have died. And so, last week we started chapter 2, which fast-forwards 38 years. Um, so when the next generation is now in charge uh, of Deciding, they're all sixty years and old and younger, um, and they are now also at the gate of the door of the doorstep of the promised land. And it's like Moses is starting this chapter two of two verse two by saying, 
Remember when it was your turn to go into the promised land. In fact, it's your turn now, still. Moses is still telling them what has already happened, but he's telling them this is what you personally have been in charge of as we go into the promised land. So it's your turn now. Let's get ready to go into the promised land. That's what this is about. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward. So they've been going around this wilderness for um, 38 years since their fathers refused to go into the easier entrance from the south. So they're going to come into Israel, to modern-day Israel, to the promised land from the east side. So instead of in the south, they've been in the south, they need to go north to go in through this other way. And they're on the east side now of the Jordan River. And they're coming in a different way, and they're going to, ha- they're going to encounter five kingdoms or five groups of people as they come in from that way. So they're going to be, there are going to be obstacles in their way as they come in from this east side. And we talked about three of those. Uh, Pastor Dan did last week. Um, so we're going this different way, and we are going to move. So turn northward and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you, so be very careful. So this is how it starts. The first group of people you're going to run into, it's called Edom is the nation. They're descendants of Esau, like Jacob and Esau, and they will be afraid of Israel, and so Israel is commanded to be careful. And do not contend with them. In other words, don't fight with them. Don't harass them. For I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as the sole of your foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. So notice that right away, that God has determined which land is which. Who's in what land? He has given this land to Esau. So Israel is not to bother Esau, their brother, their kinsman, as they go through. Instead, they're just supposed to go straight down the road. Anything that they drink, they're supposed to buy. Anything they eat, they're supposed to buy. Uh, And as they go um, through the land of Edom. And so they do that. And let's skip down a few verses now to verse 9. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given given our to the people of Lot for a possession. So Lot is Abraham's nephew, so more kinsmen. And the Lord is saying, you can't have any of their land either. So, skip down a few more verses. Um, We'll go all the way down to 19 and hear about the third people. 
And when you approach opposite the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give any of their, the land of the people of Ammon um, as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. Again, so Lot again, uh, Abraham's nephew, um, those are his descendants as well, and God has given them this land, and Israel is not fo- supposed to bother them. Um, and um, so, so there are some verses. We're starting in verse 24 tonight. This is verse 19. There are some verses in between there. They're what are called parenthetical. They're, they explain something. So really, we should read verse 24. Is coming right after in, for, in Moses' speech. Verse 24 comes right after verse 19. So, so let's read verse 19 and then go right to 24. And when you approach opposite the territory of the peace, people of Ammon, uh, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. Rise up and set out on your journey and go over the valley of the Arnon. So this would put them west, just west of Ammon, of, of where the descendants of Lot are. They're not even going to go into their territory. They're not going to harass them. They're just going to go straight north at this point. Um, and they will go beside, they will go opposite Ammon, so they don't even, or Ammon, so they don't even go in there. So that's where we get, begin tonight, uh, begin tonight. Uh, Deuteronomy 2, 24 to 37. So here's our passage. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand... Sihon the Amorite, the king of Heshbon, and his land began to take possession and contend with him in battle. So what is different here? He's been telling them, just go through, just go by, don't, don't harass them, and all of a sudden we have something much different from that. So, I know that the names can be confusing and all that stuff, but, but by the end of the night, you should remember Sihon the Amorite. Even though this is just a little bit of a short story. So pass through Esau, pass through Moab, go around Ammon, and when you get to the Amorites, go to war. That's what's going on here. So Sihon, um, if we just think this is a name from history, we are missing the point. But why him? Why Sihon? Why the Amorites? Well, it's easy to lose sight of the kindness of God. It's easy to lose sight of the kindness of God, especially when we see the severity, like we are going to see tonight, the severity. 
But it's easy to lose sight of the kindness. So why Sihon and why the Amorites? Well, here's why. We'll go back in Deuteronomy a little bit again. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 1 again, a little bit later. So this isn't, this isn't, this Amorite thing is not a new thing to chapter 2. Um, so when Israel refuses to go into the land of Canaan, they refuse, they send out the spies. The, the spies say, it's really great over there, but there are these people there. These people there who are more numerous than us, and they're bigger than us, and their cities are fortified up to heavens. Verse 20, Deuteronomy one twenty, And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites. Sihon the Amorite. This was 38 years earlier. You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set this land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So that was the command given to their fathers. Go into this land of the Amorites and take it. A few verses. Well, I'll read a little bit farther there. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let's send some men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again by, way, by the way we should go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and they went up to the hill country, that would be the hill country of the Amorites, and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit from the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and you said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us up out of the land of Egypt, to give us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified to the heavens, and besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Down a little bit farther, verse 34. And the Lord heard your words and was angered. And he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. Except Caleb, the son of Yephuna. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Down a little bit farther, verse 41. And you answered me, and you said, 
We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it would be easy to go up to the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country, came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. Behold, the kindness and the severity of God. And sometimes it's hard to see the kindness when you see the severity. That was certainly severe, but it was also kindness, or what comes next is also kindness to the next generation, those who do, those who follow. So why King Sihon now? And why the Amorites now? Well, that's why. It's because the Amorites are Israel's greatest or almost greatest fear. Not quite. Come back next week. They're afraid of one more thing. But, but the great fear of Israel is these tall people who are numerous and they, you look like grasshoppers in their eyes. We look so small compared to them. And so the previous generation dies. But this generation that will obey and will follow gets treated with kindness. The kindness that comes with God defeating for them their greatest fears. Almost... Um, greater than anything else, but not quite. So let's push forward again. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of Arnon. Behold, I have given you into the hand, into your hand, Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to take possession and to contend with him in battle. This day I will begin. Or so. From this point on, when people see what you have done, from this day I will begin to put the dread and the fear of you in the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedmot to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, With words of peace. So wait a minute there. So God has just told them that they're supposed to go fight them, right? Go fight them. Go contend with them in battle. So what is Moses doing here? Why would Moses send them words of 
peace. Why would he send them a peace treaty, basically saying that, well, we'll see what it says, but the Lord has told them to fight. So is Moses being disobedient? So why offer peace? We're going to come back to that. Something to ponder for a minute. Let me pass through your land. I will go only by the road. I will turn aside neither to the right or to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. As the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me. Until I go over the Jordan into the land that the Lord our God is giving us. Again, this sounds much different from what God had just said. Go in and fight. And Moses makes this offer of peace. Basically offers to do exactly what he had done with the land of Esau and the land of Moab. Just We'll just pass through. Um, and it'll be profitable for you. But Sihon, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. Oh. For the Lord our God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might give him into your hand as he is to this day. As, as, as he is this day. So, Sihon refuses Moses offer for peace. Well, did, did Moses know he was going to do that? It doesn't tell us here. But it sounds a lot like Exodus when God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh, uh, but he won't listen to you. Go do all these wonders before Pharaoh, but he's not going to listen to you. Why? Because I've hardened his heart. It sounds a lot like that. So God gives opportunity to see the wonders before judgment comes on Egypt. God gives Sihon the opportunity for peace before the destruction comes. But just as God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he hardens Sihon's spirit. And makes his heart obstinate. So does that mean that, that Pharaoh and Sihon didn't get to do what they wanted to do? It doesn't mean that at all. And in the, the story in Egypt is a lot longer this, than this. And explains that, that it is both God and it is Pharaoh who hardens Pharaoh's heart. Uh, two people, or God and a, and a person... Well, two people can do this too. Two people can, can decide something independently on their own and have the same result. Um, it is possible. It is not in conflict to say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and that Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, so Sihon has a real offer for peace out there. He will not take it. So that makes people uncomfortable. Does God actually harden people's Hearts. Well, you can't really 
read through Scripture and not notice that. Um, so, is that fair that God hardens some people's hearts? Well, we'll talk about that more too. But let's move on to verse 31. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to take possession that you may occupy his land. Then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Yahaz. And the Lord our God gave him over to us. And we defeated him and his sons and all his people. So let's just pause for a minute because it's, it's easy to overlook the, the kindness here that God is showing to the people of Israel. Their fathers had been crushed by the Amorites when they refused to enter the promised land. And why did they refuse to enter? Well, because they were afraid. And why were they afraid? Because they didn't trust Yahweh. They didn't trust the Lord. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe God. And so they died. So is that any different from what we have today. Is it any different? If we don't trust Christ, if we don't believe Christ, what happens? We die in our sins. But God is kind to the generation that follows him through these lands. And when he says, don't go off the road, they don't go off the road. When he says, attack, they attack. When he says, go in, they go in. And why do they do that? Because they trust him. Because they believe him. And God just keeps giving them kindness after kindness after kindness by defeating their, their enemies and letting them personally watch it happen. They get to see faith in action and what it really looks like when they're faced with adversity. And why is that? That's because they trust. They have faith. They believe that the Lord will do what he says he will do. So let's not lose sight of that kindness that God shows as, as we deal with the severity of God even further. And we captured all his cities at that time, and we devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children, we left no survivors. Uh, whoa. Is, is that fair? Um, this is the kind of things that, thing that make people say, well, I like 
the God of the New Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. So is this fair? Is this right? Is this good? We'll hold those thoughts for a minute. We'll finish reading the rest of the chapter, and then we'll, we'll come back and talk about that, the severity of God a little bit more. But it's easy to lose sight of the kindness, especially when we see severity, especially this kind of severity. And we captured all his cities at that time and devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. Only the livestock we took as our spoil, or a spoil for ourselves, with the plunder of the cities that we captured. From Aurora, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city that is in the valley as far as Gilad, these, there was not a city too high for us. Not a city too high for us. They were afraid of the fortified cities. But they got to see those fortified cities fall. And the Lord our God gave all into our hands. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near. That is, to all the banks of the river Yabok and the cities of the hill country, whatever the Lord our God had forbidden us. So they did exactly what they were supposed to do. So let's go back to this. And we captured all his cities at that time and devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. So what what is what is this? Um so this is, this is a practice called harem, which means devoted. Um, so when it says devoted to destruction, um, that's, that's devoted, could be saying it to the Lord, uh, but he de- they devoted it to, so that they couldn't use it. They couldn't, they couldn't interact with these people anymore. So does God command this? That's the question. Well, you don't see it here in in Deuteronomy chapter 2, that, that God commands this. But this is the standard practice for Israel, not when they encounter anybody, but when they encounter specifically uh, people, uh, wicked people, who they are not to interact with. In other words, God says, you can't leave any of them alive because they will turn your hearts away from me. This is not a general thing for any army. This is not even how Israel was to conduct all its wars, only in specific situations, and this must be one of them. So is this a fair thing to do? Is it a fair thing? Is it right for in essence, well, it says God does it and they did it. Is it right for God to do this? Is it right for God to have entire peoples wiped out? So how would you answer that question? 
It's, it's not an easy question. There are some principles here, though, that, that help us out to understand what it is. First of all, we're all familiar with the passage that says, I will have mercy on who I have mercy, and I will harden who I will harden. God has the right to do that as creator. He's the potter. We're the clay. God has the right to do that. That, that isn't very satisfying um, to, to people. But, but here's something that helps. We know that God is completely righteous. God is completely just. There's no injustice with God. There's no unrighteousness in God. So regardless of what we think in our standards of justice and righteousness are wrong when they disagree with God. God is ultimately righteous. And so, he doesn't do anything that's not righteous. He doesn't do anything that's not just. And so, we have to believe that this is just and this is right because God has ordained it. One of my favorite passages along these lines, it, it, it's, that, that basically makes the point that we, it, God is completely righteous, God is completely just, and we just can't understand it. This is from Psalms. It's just one verse. Uh, it's, Psalm, it's from Psalm 97. Um, Psalm 97, verse 2, if you want to look it up, but I'm just about there. I'll read it to you. I'll start in verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. So just think about that. We can't quite see him. We can't see him. We can't see what's going on. We can't understand. Next phrase. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So though we can't approach and we can't understand and we can't see through the cloud, righteousness and justice have founded his throne. This is all done right. We're familiar with the passages that say that God rewards people for their works. I'll pay every man back for what he has done, good or bad. So, as, as all the people of Sihon, the Amorite, are killed, there are none of them that are righteous. Not even one. One more principle that helps here. We all know and we all believe, I think we all believe, that God judges people when they die. Right? After they die, it's appointed for every man to die once, and then comes the judgment. Nowhere are we ever given when we will die. We just saw in these terror attacks a couple weeks ago, people died. For us, out of sync, out of time. Guess where they are? They're at judgment now. 
wherever they were, wherever they, they are, they're, they're awaiting the judgment. Nobody guarantees us a certain amount of days. God knows them. God knows them all. He ordains them all. But we don't get guaranteed that we're going to live to be 70 or 80 or 90. We don't get any of that guaranteed. But we do know this. When we die, then comes judgment. Behold the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell severity, but to you, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off too. So it's easy to lose sight of that kindness that we have been shown when we're faced with this severity. And before this ever happened to Sihon and the Amorites, Moses gave them a genuine offer of peace. So when we trust in Christ, like the Israelites trusted in the Lord as they went along, we receive that kindness of God. That's what we receive. So we shouldn't lose sight of that, that where we were, um, we were like the Amorites. We were all like the Amorites, headed for, devoted to destruction. Just think of the verses that we like to say. We get kids that don't want to learn these verses. For the wages of sin are death, but the free, God, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's that saying? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, eternal life. Devoted to destruction, wages of sin is death. Or the kindness of God, eternal life in Jesus our Lord. So there are, there are all kinds of Amorites walking around. And I'm not talking about ethically, um, that they're this, this great nation of people who are... Um, worthy to be struck down all at once. But there are a whole world of Amorites out there, and I know some of them. Those who are headed for destruction. And so do you. I bet you can think of some. Some who you think, you're pretty sure, like I'm pretty sure Moses was, that if you offer them peace with God in Christ Jesus, they're going to refuse it. We're pretty sure about that on some people, even though we shouldn't be pretty sure about that. But, but the Amorites that I know and that you know, they're all headed for judgment, right? They're all headed for judgment. They don't know how long they're going to live. We don't know how long they're going to live. We need to offer them the peace. Regardless, most people will turn it down. Most people don't want Christ. Most people are Amorites. 
We need to offer it. Right over here, I have something that sits on my desk. It's a turtle. It sits on my desk. It, it's my reminder that most people are Amorites. It's my reminder to offer the peace. Even when we're pretty sure people won't accept it. So, what are we going to do with this? Well, let's not lose sight of the kindness of God, because if we do, then for sure we won't tell him. Let's not lose sight of the kindness of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have seen, that we have experienced the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful witnesses for you in this world filled with Amorites. Your kindness can overpower them. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.